following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Uh, let's uh, grab our Bibles and turn to, hey, guess what? Luke chapter 2. That's right, that's right. We celebrate a little progress here. Seven messages through chapter 1, and now we're into chapter 2, and um, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to work us through the first seven verses here this morning, and then uh, on uh, uh, tomorrow and, and the 24th uh, for our Christmas Eve services, five of them. Seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> um, what was I thinking? Uh, staff's been so great putting this all together. We're, we're really excited about being at the Mady Center for the, the next two nights. And, um, but I'm going to continue on in chapter two, so part of this series uh, will be taught at, at that service um, on the 23rd and 24th as well. And so we're in this whole Christmas narrative thing. We're thinking about the stories of Jesus, and I, I love all of that. I, I've always loved it. And even before I was a believer in, in a home where we didn't really know Jesus, but Christmas was pretty special, and it was a pretty spiritual time for us uh, anyways. And uh, one of the most familiar lines, I think, in the entire story, the entire narrative of the nativity is this one. There was... There was no place for them at the end. You know that's that line, right? It's pretty famous, and it really is the moment in the story that like Hollywood directors really love because it's the moment of drama. It, it, there's a dramatic tension that happens in that moment. I mean, here's the... Can you use this phrase, the very pregnant? Can you be not very pregnant? But you know what I mean, right? So the very pregnant Mary shows up with her man, Joseph, and they arrive in this town that that they don't live in, and they're looking for a place, and she needs a place. You see what I'm saying about the dramatic tension and how it hangs in the air? And could we just agree right now that what Hollywood really loves in terms of the story is not really the reason why God's doing all of this. That really God's purposes are far higher. Amen? Uh, That that God has something else going on here uh, that he wants us to see and be aware of. This little detail is so critical as we think about God's sovereign plan over the entirety of how he pulled off getting his son to planet earth in the form of a human. He sent Jesus to earth to rescue us. And in coming, in coming to the place that he created, in coming to the people that he created, his own son found no place. It wasn't accepted. No welcome mat. No recognition whatsoever. From the start, it's clear From this line forward, it's clear that Jesus doesn't feel at home on earth. No sense of belonging whatsoever. I mean, forget forget the inn. I mean, there was really no place for them anywhere. They just felt the disconnect, the lack of belonging. And, And I love that Jesus, in this sense, I love the fact that Jesus experienced that. Because it reflects the reality of every one of our lives as human beings. Though we're born on planet Earth, though we spend the entirety of our lives on planet Earth, though we're in the same boat as everyone else, 
There's not really one of us, if we were truly being honest, not one of us that would say, I really, totally, completely feel like I belong here. And we spend the entirety of our lives striving, working toward, feeling comfortable about being here. And life is like a blink, by the way. I am racing toward the number 50. It's a blink. You might be young thinking it's dragging on so long because you're still in high school or elementary school. I remember that. I remember how slow it was, but it's over in a blink. And and if you haven't figured out where you belong before you get to the end of that blank, and you've spent an entire life feeling uncomfortable in the place in which you were born. Jesus experienced it. We all experienced it. We don't feel like we fit. And our challenge is is that we're looking for that sense of belonging in the wrong places. It's not about geography. A lot of people, their sense of belonging comes from their geography. I was born in such and such a place. I was born in Montreal. It's a pretty amazing place to be born. And there's not a Montrealer on the planet that isn't absolutely, completely proud about the fact that they were born in Montreal. En français, on dit, un fois Montréalais, toujours Montréalais. Once a Montrealer, always a Montrealer. All right? doesn't matter where you live. I have some identity tied up in that. But it's not satisfying... It's not going to get me to the end of my life in a really complete kind of I think I fit in that way. It's not about geography. It's not about social status. You know, I'm in this social group. I've reached this level of socioeconomic uh, position and status. And that's unsatisfying on its face. It's never enough. You always want just a little bit more. It's not about life circumstances, whether it's going well or poorly for you. Your identity can't come from those things. It's not about earthly relationships. As awesome, I've said this so many times, as awesome as your marriage might be, as awesome as the family that you have might be, as awesome as the friendships or the small group that you're in, or as awesome as your church might be, listen, you can't find your identity in those things. They're all fleeting. We all die alone. Longing is never determined by geography, social status, life circumstance, or earthly relationships, but only by what God says about me. He determines my sense of belonging, of where I fit. He sent his son, who was perfectly content in his identity. He sent his son to an inhospitable world. To let you and me know who we really are. And you will know who you are. You will know who you are. You will have a complete sense of belonging. That you belong to Him. If you recognize who He is. Our identity is rooted in who God is. And that's what we want to locked down this morning as we uh, read this next passage of scriptures. I thought I would have a young man from our
children's ministry come and read this. Ryan, why don't you uh, come, come up here right now? He's already been on the stage singing, dancing, doing all kinds of things today, man. Now you're reading the Word of God. Got it? All right. You follow along the scriptures. This is Luke chapter... What's the passage again? Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. Read it. Here we go. In those, di- in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Luke 2, 1 to 7. All right, that's a good word. Thank Ryan. Thanks, buddy. Good job. All right, let's pray together. Our God and Father, thank you uh, so much for your word. I thank you uh, for its clarity. I thank you for its simplicity. And I thank you, God, that there is an urgency attached to this message. Father, there are people in this room who are struggling with who they are and where they fit in this world. And I pray, God, that you would bring such clarity to that in their lives today as we look at the Word of God. Thank you for the nativity of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that He became flesh like us. Thank you that He was tempted in all ways like us, but did not sin. And I pray, God, that we would see in His life the transforming power of salvation for ourselves today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, you're going to know that you belong to God if you recognize, first of all, that He is in control of world events. Now, there's no doubt in my mind, maybe this is partially because I am a Quebecer, um, but that if I had not been a preacher, that I probably would have been in politics. And uh, that's uh, probably a really good thing that Jesus saved me. And... uh, kept me away from that life. I find myself still being somewhat interested in it, but then at times I find myself so wearied by it. And I find it sometimes when people get so caught up, so wrapped up in what's going on, even Christ followers, so wrapped up in the politics, I actually, sometimes I just find it amusing. I just find it amusing that people get so wrapped up in it. And and they think that what they're going after uh, to build this kind of earthly life, they think that it's so important. They get all worked up over things that in the end don't matter. Listen to this. Don't matter as much as they think they matter. Not that they don't matter. Not that government matters aren't important. Not that we shouldn't be interested in these things. But they don't matter as much as people think they matter. People get all worked up. They're all stressed out about it. I just think of our American friends right now who are all worked up about Obamacare as if it's ushering in the very apocalypse. And I'm just going like, chill out. We've had Obamacare for decades here in Canada and the apocalypse has not yet come. Uh, just chill out. It's not that it's not important. It's not that you shouldn't speak your mind as a citizen. Just, just don't, don't overplay it. In Canada this week, if you've been following the news at all, you know that our Supreme Court... God bless them, somehow, please, struck down our prostitution laws. 
Now, now, I understand that that's a serious matter, but please understand, my Canadian friends, this is not the end of the world. The, 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 the rapid degeneration in morality, of morality in our society is not something new. Americans, Canadians, what were all the things I wrote down? Oh yeah, Duck Dynasty people. I don't even know if I need to say it. <laughs> Despite what you would believe from Facebook and Twitter, silencing Phil Robertson is not a mark of the end of the age. We will survive this. And it actually isn't a whole lot surprising that it actually happened. This is not a watershed moment in history, though one might think so. All of that to say, we get so worked up about stuff like this. But if, if you're going to write anything down, write this down. God has not lost his grip on history. He hasn't lost his, his grip on this world. He's still firmly in control of all things. I mean, I read the New Testament. I see what was happening in the Gospels. I don't even need to read the extra history that goes around the Gospels or around the book of Acts, for example. I don't even need to read all the background to it to know that that world, by my estimation, that world was a far more hostile world than the one we live in. I mean, something like this, for example, this large gathering of Christian people would not necessarily have been possible in the first century. We think we have it so bad. We think it's so awful. But really, that was a very hostile world. In a, in a world, really, when you look at it, it seemed that God was such a minor player that he was so completely out of control of what was happening in history. I mean, think about it. While Christianity today spans the globe and you could find believers in every country of the world today, at that time, the only people that loved the God of the universe and served him were the Jewish people who were in a very small province, in a backwater place, in the very power powerful Roman world. They were forgotten, they were insignificant, and they were the only people who loved and served God. Kind of puts the whole thing in perspective, doesn't it? God's so much more active and alive and acknowledged in our world today, at least as we see it. In that time, he was so pushed off into the corner. And yet, God's purposes remained perfectly on track then and now. Nothing then was taking God by surprise. There were no committee meetings with the Trinity to try and figure out plan B. God only had one plan. He was advancing it through history. Nothing was taking God by surprise, not even in the least. God is in control. God was in control. This is what we see in verses 1 through 3, by the way, to the text. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, I really didn't think Ryan was going to nail that word, but he did. Uh, when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. <laughs> this is like, 
these are like three of the most innocuous, non-powerful, just kind of statement of fact kind of verses really in the New Testament. This is a government announcement. This is, this is the minister of statistics standing up saying they're going to run a census. They're going to count people. Woo-hoo! Big deal. And yet in this somewhat mundane, ordinary, routine government business, God is at work showing himself powerful. This is the means by which God is manipulating history to take this young couple, not even yet married, betrothed still, to get them from one insignificant town to another insignificant town so that their baby, which God has placed by a miracle of his Holy Spirit into the womb of the mother, get them into a different town so that that child can be born specifically in the fulfillment of prophecy in the town of Bethlehem, which is Joseph's birth town. And so God is in control. God called the census. As august as Caesar Augustus was, God is more august. God is completely in control. God is sovereign over this entire situation. So I started thinking about that, and I love, it gives confidence. I was talking to somebody before the service. The sovereignty of God gives me such confidence to live my life in a way where I fear nothing. I fear nothing. God is in control. But that's not true for everybody, and some of you are very anxious about world events. These things really do upset you. You watch the news, and you get all, all kind of twisting in the wind over all of that. My counsel will be to you, don't watch the news. And trust in God, who's sovereign and in control, and controlled the man Augustus Caesar. Who controls Harper and Obama and Putin controls them all they're not their own men god runs this world everything happens according to his plan we get all fretting about wars and natural disasters moral liberalism creeping into our society crime and economic uncertainty we get all twisting in the wind over antibiotic resistant drugs and old diseases making comebacks we We need not fear any of it. God is in control. His will is being accomplished. And when we trust Him in the midst of the turmoil, and there is turmoil, there is turmoil. Admittedly, there's turmoil. But when we trust Him in the midst of that, understanding that it is simply this, it's the outflow of a sin-sick world that we live in. And when we tell Him we trust Him, We demonstrate to everyone and to ourselves that we belong to him. God, I I trust you with these things. I don't know where it's going to end up. I'm definitely concerned about it. I'm not going to be foolish about it. But I'm not letting it control or run my life. Amen? I trust him. And my sense of belonging is tied to that trust. You say, all right, well, that's that's wonderful, Todd. Um, But I don't need to watch the news. I don't need to follow what's going on in the world because I have enough drama in my own life. Is that you? Raise your hand. Enough drama in my life. Don't need world events to get me feeling anxious or out of sorts. 
And so I understand that. Uh, so beyond the big picture, you'll also know you belong because you recognize uh, him at work in your real life personal circumstances. God is at work in your life. Now this gets very personal in verses 4 and 5. It's still rather mundane on its face. Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Again, you look at that, you just go, it doesn't seem like there's very much there. Except now, this God-controlled edict, this government uh, law that's been put into place, now this affects ordinary people. Now it comes down to one man named Joseph and, and getting him to a different place so that God's will really can be accomplished. And so Joseph, he, goes, he does his duty. He heads to Bethlehem, his ancestral home, to fulfill the prophecy. Jesus being born in Bethlehem will solidify Jesus' claim to the Davidic throne. So important for him as Messiah. And what I really want for you is that you would see God at work in the normal, day-to-day events of your life. The circumstances that are just a regular part of all of our lives. I want you to see that you don't need anything amazing or spectacular to be happening in your life. To have the confidence that we truly belong to Him. God works in the lives of regular Boring people. Honestly, that's most of us. There's not a lot spectacular or amazing happening here. God's glory shines. His purpose is fulfilled in the ordinary. Joseph was a husband and a dad and literally a working class Joe. Okay, like three of you got that. His name was Joseph. He was a working class Joe. Are you with me? Okay, lighten up, people. Here we go. A working class Joe from a small town. And Whatever you have going on in your life currently, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the ordinary part of your life is, but, but this applies to every one of us, whether you, you just have a job you go to every Monday or, or whether you're a student or whether your job right now is looking for work whether you, you have money or you, you don't have money, whether you're single or married, retired, young, old, man, woman, whatever it is, whatever your ordinary situation is, God's at work. God wants to do something powerful in your life. God wants to accomplish some great things in and through you. He's ready to stamp his identity on you. Now, for some of you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ yet. You haven't believed yet. And for others of you, you do believe. But you're struggling sometimes with who you are in Christ. So you understand it. I know that I'm in him. I know that he's in control. I know that I belong to him. I know that my entire life has purpose because of him. But sometimes I struggle with that. And I end up going back to my wrong ways of thinking and finding my identity in other things. So no matter who you are, if you're an unbeliever, you need to get this identity from Christ. And if you're a believer, but you're struggling with identity, listen, you need to live like you know that you belong to Christ. Now for the unbeliever, it starts with identifying uh, with him. Remember, Christmas is just part one of the story. 
And part two of the story is the cross. And we sang about the cross today. We did that on Christmas Sunday because Christmas isn't enough to believe in. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It makes us feel great about what God did for us. It communicates the fact that he's willing to identify with us, to come to this earth and become flesh like us. It's it's an awesome part of the story, no doubt about it. But it's not the whole story. Jesus needed to live his life, teach what he needed to teach. He needed to get our attention. He needed to die on the cross, shedding his blood, so that you and I could have the forgiveness of our sins absolutely necessary we need to confess our sins we need to believe that jesus gave his life for us we need to believe that he was resurrected to new life on the third day we need to believe that he was ascended to the father and sits on the right hand of the throne of god right now we need to believe that he's coming back for us again we believe that and we have our identity in him and if you don't have that yet that's what you you need to do that today Christmas 2013 needs to be about you identifying with the God who made you and the God who you actually long for. Give your life to Him. And then having believed all of that, just live your life in a way that pleases Him. Your ordinary, run-of-the-mill, facing each circumstance as it comes, just live that life for Him wherever you are. You can have every confidence that you belong to him. Even if your life seems rather ordinary. You see, really, when you come down to it, none of this is very complicated. It's not even really mystical. Joseph, in these verses, was simply doing what he was supposed to do as a husband and as a father. He was simply doing what he should do as a man who said he trusted God. He was just going out and obeying a government edict, and God was directing his very path to get him to the place where God could fulfill all of his purposes through him. And in the ordinary, in the regular life that you're living, God is working and using you to touch others, to make an impact, to shine his glory. Let him do it. Embrace it. Let your identity be found in him and and let God work in you in that way. Joseph knew who he was. And I hope you do too. You'll know you belong to God if you recognize that he's in control of world events. He's at work in your real life circumstances. And then, I love this, doing both in unexpected ways. Doing both in unexpected ways. Is it fair to say that the nativity story is a bit crazy? Is it fair? Think about it. It's a bit crazy, right? All the details of it and how the whole thing comes together and who's there and what's happening. It's, it's all rather unexpected. Verses 6 and 7, here's a little piece of it. And of course, we have the Luke narrative, which is the most extensive. Then we have the Matthew narrative, which is a little less extensive. And that's really it. That's all we know about the nativity. And while they were there, verse 6 says, while they were there, there's an indication in that phrase that it, it didn't actually... You know, despite what happens in all the TV specials, it didn't actually, you know, happen like immediately as they arrived. It's like they're banging on the door because Mary's in labor. That urgency, I think, is more Hollywood direction than actual text. While they were there, they got there, they got settled, and while they were there, so verse 6 says, the time came for her, for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger 
because there was no place for them in the inn. We've heard this story so many times that uh, it becomes so familiar to us and we don't, sometimes we don't actually listen to the words or we don't remark what's actually fact, what happened, what does the word of God say about the nativity versus all the fiction. Because as parents, uh, we, we like to have our kids watching all these Christmas specials, right? I'm not talking about the Rudolph one and the, and the snowman one, but I'm talking about the, like even the little drummer boy, for example, which um, so accurately tells the story. Just shake your heads with me. Not, not really that accurately. Um, but that's kind of the frame of reference. We, we, we put our kids in front of this stuff and, and, and we tell them this is it. And uh, so... I think it'd be good for us even at this point as we think about how God works unexpectedly just to sort out fact and fiction. Would that be fun to do here for a second? Want to play a little game? We'll call the game Fact or Fiction. How's that? All right. Fact or... So original. So this is solely based, the answers are going to be solely based on what's in the scriptures. Not, not on any Christmas TV specials. Just none of those other books, not the Max Lucado books. None of that, all right? Solely on the scripture, not tradition. Um, here we go. We got these on slides, I think. Question number one, fact or fiction. Jesus was surrounded by cows and sheep when he was born. Okay, how, let's do it this way. How many people say fact? How many people say fiction? How many people did not answer? Not an option. Not an option. You must answer. <laughs> that is fiction. The answer. So, so here we go. Like, you know, we sing, the cattle are low. No, they were not. <laughs> well, they might have been. And we're going to sing that song at the end, aren't we, Jordan? Yes, we are. And please hear me. Just go ahead and sing the song, okay? Just, just go with it. I'm not trying to destroy every Christmas tradition, just some of them. Um, there's no evidence the cattle were lowing. There's no evidence that there were sheep there. We, we extrapolate all of that on the basis that he was born in an enclosure where animals were kept and that shepherds came. So we make an assumption that there were animals with us, but no animals are mentioned at all ever in any of the passages. That's fiction. Number two, play the game now this time, all right? I'm going to say fact or fiction. And you just say, P Jesus' parents were turned away by the mean old innkeeper just before Jesus was born. Thank you. That is fiction. And because there is no innkeeper ever mentioned. And in fact, there was probably no inn. And I recognize that even our ESV uh, translation puts the word in. I'll explain that in a minute. But it's more likely a guest room in a house that was already occupied by a traveler of higher standing than Joseph. Have we got, have we got a slide on this? Is this where I put that other slide? This is not where I put that. Forget what I just said. Number three. We have two fictions so far. Number three. Jesus was... That's the next one, right? That's what I'm thinking of. Number three. Jesus was born in a stable like the one everyone has in their living room. I mean... How many people have some kind of nativity scene in your house? Keep your hand up if it looks like that. Okay. For sure. They all look like that, right? Just one-sided and all open like that. And they all have peaked roofs. Um, fact or fiction? Fiction. 
fiction. Probably more like this. And this is, this is what I want to show you. So houses in Bethlehem at the time in the ancient Near East would have been two levels. And the family would have lived on the second level. And they would have had two rooms. And one of those rooms would have been set aside for guests. And so that's what I say. Joseph and Mary would have arrived probably at maybe a, 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 a relative's house, some kind of distant relative. He would have told who he was and they would have said, you're welcome to come in, but there's a guest who has higher standing than you that already has the guest room. This was standard practice in the ancient Near East. There weren't a lot of, uh, a, a lot of comfort inns around. And so people would go to each other's houses and a room would be set aside for it on the second floor. And then the animals would be kept below. People that, we're not talking farms here, just their necessary farm animals, uh, their livestock would be kept below them. Uh, imagine how that smelled. And, um, but, but that's where Mary and Joseph likely stayed, was just below the house on the first level in the enclosure that would have been kept for animals. You following with me? Number four. Um, Jesus was laid in a wooden manger like this. Every church everywhere has built one of these at some time and had it on their stage, right? Fact or fiction? You you can't believe how much pleasure this is giving me right now to just be messing with you like this. Here's the thing you need to about how many people have ever visited Israel? You visited Israel? Way more way more what than trees. Way more stones and rocks than trees. And and so the manger looked more like this. That, that's what it would, it would have been some kind of stone thing all carved out. That's what Jesus would have been put in. Um, number, how are you doing so far? How many people have got 100% so far? Really? Really? Wow. No prizes. Sorry. Um, number five. Jesus was visited as he laid in the manger by three magi who brought gifts to him. We could also call this Todd's pet peeve. Okay. <laughs> In fact, we were able to visit one family from our church this week. And years, uh, years ago, I taught on the whole issue of the Magi. And I told people at the time that if they have a nativity scene in their house, that the Magi should be where? Yeah, in the kitchen, on the other side of the room at the very least, somewhere else. And I went to their house and there was their nativity scene up in one corner. And in the far corner was the Magi sitting over on a table. So praise the Lord for orthodoxy and being true to the scriptures. Amen. Amen. Uh, So, um, yeah, the Magi uh, came sometime later when Jesus was a small child and living in a house in Bethlehem. We see all that in the text. Number six. uh, By the way, we don't know that there was three of them. There were three gifts. There were two or more Magi. That's all we know. Number six. Jesus' birth was lit up by the so-called Christmas star that was shining overhead that night. Fact or fiction? Uh, No Magi, no star. Come on, do the math, people. Work with me. Came later. There was a star, just came later. One more. One more. You still got a perfect run? Number seven. Jesus enjoyed a musical selection that night from a little drummer boy. Fact or fiction? No, he did not play his drum for him. Pa-dum-pa-dum-pum. 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 Bum. All right. All of them were fiction. Um, all right. Having sorted all of that out, 
which I think was so important uh, to be consistent with the Scriptures. Uh, Let me just say that the account of Jesus Christ and His birth is somewhat unexpected. Everything God did was so out of the ordinary, so unexpected, so under the radar, so unorthodox. We could think, God, why couldn't this be a little bit more normal? Why couldn't he just have been born in the town where they live? Why couldn't it have been in their own house? Why couldn't it have been in a bed? Why couldn't there have been some more attendance, some people to help? Why wasn't there a midwife? The whole thing is so unexpected and so ridiculous, really. Why did God pick the lowest of the low locations for his birth? Because God delights in doing the unexpected. God delights in doing things according to his plans and purposes. God is the only one who can ever sing, who can ever croon, I did it my way. The only one. God help anyone else who ever sings the song. He gets to do it his way. The whole plan to save the world is unexpected. Everything about how Jesus will do it will be unexpected. There's nothing orthodox or normal about Jesus' life from top to bottom, from the way he was born to the way he taught to the way he died and the way he came back to life. None of it is anything other than unexpected and extraordinary. That's what makes it so awesome. But the most unexpected thing he did, ready for it? I become more and more aware of this every day that I'm alive and enjoying his grace. The most unexpected thing Jesus did was save you. Thank him for it right now. He saved me? Really? How awesome is that? That everything he did, all the plans, all the pain and suffering, the incarnation itself, all of that, very personally. It was for me. I don't think I deserve it. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the longing in our hearts to give us a sense of belonging that transcends this world. Maybe the unexpected thing for you is you came here today and not really expecting very much out of this time together. And right now what's really happening for you if you're not a follower of Christ is that God's calling on you right now and you know it. You didn't expect it, but it's happening. And the decision you need to make this year, the gift you need to unwrap, is the gift of Jesus Christ and his salvation. That God would give you a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose in this life, beyond anything you've ever known before, beyond anything this world could ever offer, or anything you could achieve on your own. He's ready to give that to you. Unexpectedly. And the only problem as I see it is we come to these out of these great verses it's just some of us saying i like christmas i like the tradition i like everything that's going on here but the thing is i i'm not that fired up about jesus and i really don't want to believe that it's actually about him i just want a little christmas that's it but we don't really have that option he's the only one is the who is the answer to your need the need that you have to belong and nothing else will answer it and i can say confidently that you will know you belong to God if you recognize that he's in control of all world events, that he's over all of your life circumstances, and that he is doing these things, giving us all of this in a very unexpected way. I pray we could all embrace that this Christmas. Amen.
Amen. Well, we pray together. And thank God for this time. Uh, Father, you are a good God. And uh, you have blessed us in an extraordinary way. Christmas is extraordinary when we think about the story and how you worked and your plan for it all and for us, your deep love that you have for us and all your son went through. It's awesome. And I pray that in this moment, if there's any who are here who already love you and know you, but they're struggling with their identity, they're struggling with anxiety, with peace. Father, I pray that you would help them in this moment to to know the assurance of the salvation they already have. They would find that in you alone and not be tempted by what the world offers them. And then I would pray for those who don't yet know you as Savior God, that they would, in this moment, right now, pray, turning their life over to you, believing in the message of Jesus Christ and finding for the first time a true sense of fulfillment and belonging that can only come from you, the God of the universe, the God who created all of this. So God, thank you for hearing this prayer. Thank you for being a father who delights all year long to give good gifts to his children. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.